If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, I always say that, uh, turn with me to the book of the Revelation, the book of the Revelation chapter 2, and then also I would encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 19. So we're going to start at the book of the Revelation, but I also want you to put a finger at Acts chapter 19 because it's incredibly important uh, to this uh, message today that we understand some things about what was going on. Excuse me. We're going to start out this morning by looking at the church in Ephesus, and uh, I don't know if you've heard a series of teaching or preaching uh, on the seven churches of Revelation, uh, but from the offset, I just wanted to let you know that uh, uh, I'm going to try and uh, have a good mix of teaching and preaching in this series, and so uh, it won't be very preachy, but it won't be super teachy. And you're like, well, then why did I come? Let me go home, right? And so I just want you, want you to bear with me. It's important that we see some things as we study this. So let's get started uh, right away this morning in God's Word. Look with me in Re- Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> and we're going to begin in verse 1 and following. And the Bible says unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, Write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and that thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, and thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the time that we've had to sing songs of worship and praise. And Lord, I pray now that You will open up the eyes of our understanding, clear our minds from the concerns and cares of the day in this world, that we might be able to enter into a special time where You might be able to speak to us through Your Word and through the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I do pray that if there's somebody in this place, somebody who is watching online this morning or even after this service is over, and Lord, that they have not entered into the greatest relationship of all, a relationship with You through Your dear Son, Lord, I pray that You would impart that to them today, their need, and that You would draw them to the foot of the cross where they might find Your love, Your forgiveness of sin, and life everlasting. Lord, I pray for us, those who are here and would consider themselves followers of Christ, Lord, I pray that You would encourage our hearts. But Lord, at the end of the day, I believe that today we all need to be reminded of what You said to this church and to be wary of our own lives. Lord, that You might challenge us in a way that brings You honor and glory. Lord, we'll be careful to give You the praise and the honor and the glory for all that You'll do in this place. Lord, I thank You again for allowing us to meet together. God, we give you the praise in advance of what you'll do, and it's in the precious name of Jesus that we do pray, and for his sake, the church of God said amen and amen. Well, I want to start off with a quote. It's been said, to understand prophecy, to understand prophecy, we must first learn a little history. And so some of you say, let me me take a little poll. How many did not like history class in school? Oh, everybody loved history. Let me ask another one. How many did not like math class in school? Everybody, yeah. So everybody raised their hand. Okay, so we're in good turf. Uh, Over the next several weeks, we want to be taking a look back, if you please, in history. And I believe that it's important for us to take a look back in history so that we might be able to learn something for the here and now. And you say, can we learn anything in 2021? Yeah, I believe we still have a lot to learn, don't you? How many, how many of you would say you've learned everything you need to learn in life? I know there's no husbands that are raising their hand. 
Because if you do, you'll get a swift elbow to the rib cage. Listen, it's like that old adage that says, if we don't learn from history, we're destined to what? If we don't learn from history, we're destined to repeat it. And in many ways, I believe that's what's taking place today. We're repeating a lot of history that we have no need to repeat because we didn't learn the lesson the first time we went through it. Amen? And so uh, we, just, we just have to look back in Scripture and see what the Bible says. Now, I want you to see a map of the day. Asia Minor, this province in the book of the Revelation that we're talking about, these seven churches, is a key province in the ancient days of the Roman Empire. And what we're going to find is we're going to find seven short letters to seven churches. And, and I'll walk over here because I'm sure you can't see it as well as we would if we were in the sanctuary. But here's Ephesus, and it kind of goes counterclockwise as we make our way through this study of the churches of Revelation. And, and what we know is that uh, these letters were penned by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but... Let's be honest, folks. They might have been penned by John, but they were dictated by Jesus. Amen? In my Bible, the text to all the letters is in red. So that means that Jesus is actually dictating what He wants to be said to the church. Do you know I believe He's dictating what He wants to say to us today? And so I pray that you have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say today. As we know from Scripture and history, John... If you know the Apostle John, he had been banished uh, from civilization. He had been, uh, quite honestly, exiled as a prisoner to the Isle of Patmos. And that was kind of a, a first century uh, Roman prison, if you please. And uh, he was exiled for his faith. He was exiled for his adherence to his faith. But he was exiled mostly because he just couldn't be quiet about Jesus. He just kept telling people about Jesus. Like, uh, this guy's causing problems for us we got to do something with John. What are we going to do with John? And so, if you know anything about history, you know according to tradition, John was sentenced to death, and the tradition says that he was thrown into a cauldron of uh, hot boiling oil. Anybody feel like doing that today? But the tradition says that when the oil did not hurt him, they were scared. They, they were fearful of John, and they said, what are we going to do? And so they put him out to the island of Patmos. And, and the reason they you say, why put him out on this little isle of Patmos? And we had the opportunity uh, to take a missions trip this last year. And if you look uh, there off the coast of what is now Turkey, you'll find the isle of Patmos, and, and you'll see this out in the Mediterranean. And you say, this is a very, very small place. Why would they send him there? They sent him there because there would be no one there that he could preach to. That was why they sent John there. They said, guess what? We will shut him up once and for all. He can talk to the birds of the air. He can talk all he wants, but he's going to be alone on that island and nobody is going to hear the gospel. And so they banished him to Patmos. And here, what we find in the book of the Revelation is John is given a vision of the future. He's given a, a, a notice of these seven letters to these seven historical churches. And if you look over, look at Revelation chapter 1 in verse number 9. Notice what John says. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Why? He says, here's why I was there. He said, I was there because of the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is why they punished me. This is why they sent me away. And then he says in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Man, let me tell you, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit, amen? Uh, hello, if you are saved, you got the Holy Spirit. And He's residing inside of you. He is taking up residence inside of you. And here's the reality. He wants to lead God and direct your life. But the problem that we have many times is we say, nope. I don't want you to guide my life, Holy Spirit. I want to guide my life on my own terms. I'm going to live according to my thoughts. I'm going to live according to my ways. And I'm going to live according to what I want to do. And the Holy Spirit says, that's not how things work. That's how God says it doesn't work that way. But He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, verse 10, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Can you imagine? He says that the voice of Jesus was like a trumpet. Anybody here ever play a trumpet? Uh, even when you try to play it soft, it's loud. Can you imagine? He said, I heard a voice as if it were a trumpet. And notice what the voice says to John in verse number 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the first and the last. And what thou seest, he says, listen, the vision that I'm going to give you, what you see, he said, I want you to write it in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. But this morning we're going to get a glimpse of the church in Ephesus. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of people have referred to uh, the church at Ephesus as the loveless church. And I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that they're a loveless church. I would say that they're a careless church. They had the love of God running in, in their hearts and minds and they were being driven by the love of God, but they got careless with the love of God. And we'll see that here in just a second. And as we get started though, look with me back in our text. It's important for you and I to understand that all of these churches that we're going to look at are representative in some way of every believer in every age. Isn't that amazing that every church that we're going to see, Jesus speaking to every church, is actually representative of every believer in some form or fashion all down through time. And so uh, they offer us really great opportunities for learning. In fact, I was watching uh, one pastor, he was teaching on this subject, a gentleman by the name of Phil Hopper, and he's out in uh, the Kansas City, Missouri area, and he said these words. He talked about his studying the book of the Revelation. And he says, we can learn from the past in such a way that it helps us live victoriously here in the present until that day that we see Jesus in the future. Amen. Let me ask a question. Do you love Jesus? I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad you said yes. Hey, are you looking forward to seeing Jesus? Doesn't it beat the alternative? Anybody been living in 2020 and 2021? I mean... I'm, I'm ready to see Jesus, all right? Uh, I wanna, I'm like Paul, I want to glorify Him whether by my life or by my death, and so I'm not trying to rush it, the affair, but man, I'm looking forward to the day when I see Jesus, amen? And so uh, my prayer is that this message, this message series will do wonders in our lives, that God will use it in a way to help you and I to spiritually recognize, not only individually but corporately, how we are doing in 2021. Let me ask you a question. Just think about it. You don't have to say, oh my, or praise the Lord or anything. But how do you think that the church of the living God is doing in 2021? Just let that set on your heart right now. Let that set on your heart. Do you think that we can improve? I believe we can. So before we get into what Jesus is specifically saying, it's important for us, and if you have your finger in Acts 19, we're going to make our way over to Acts 19 here for just a second, because I think it's important for you and I to understand a little bit about the city of Ephesus itself. And what we know from history and, and Scripture and on and on, you can do a study of this, is that the city of Ephesus was the largest and most prominent city in the Ro Roman province of Asia Minor of that time. It was also the center of political and economic power during its day. It was a great commercial center of the world. In fact, uh, theologian William Barclay once said that Ephesus was the Vanity Fair city of its day. It was the Vanity Fair city of its day. And Ephesus would also, uh, was also known, if you please, as a home uh, to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And that was the Temple of Artemis or Diana. And so we'll see that here in just a second. But from Scripture, look in Acts chapter uh, 18. You'll notice in verse number 19 of Acts chapter 18 that Paul initially stops in Ephesus here. He's in his second missionary journey and he stops in Ephesus. He's on his way back to go through Jerusalem to report. And then he's going back to the church at Antioch, which is the church that initially sent him and, uh, out on his first missionary journey. And so if you know the process, he goes out from Antioch, he, comes, he does a missionary trip, then he comes back and he reports to the church, much like we have missionaries that come back and report to us about the work that's going on. He goes out on a second trip, and so here in Acts chapter 18, he's on his way back home. And so in Acts chapter 18, the Bible says in verse number 19 that he entered into the synagogue and he reasons with the Jews, and here's what we know from Scripture, is they're like mesmerized. They're like, hey, hey, would you stay a while? And Paul says, no, 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 I got to go. I got to go. And so we see him leaving. He goes through Jerusalem. He reports. He gets back to Antioch. But very quickly, in Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul returns. And when he returns to Ephesus, 
he finds a group of individuals who quite honestly had not been baptized yet. In fact, if you know the story, these guys, Paul says, hey, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They said, we don't even know if there is a such thing as the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, how can you not know this? Well, the former teacher who is now in Corinth, his, his knowledge of what had taken place was limited. It wasn't that he was trying to teach bad doctrine or, or incomplete truth. He just didn't know. And so Paul comes and he reveals the beautiful uh, aspect of the Holy Spirit. These guys understand, they get baptized, and then he also goes on and he starts to uh, uh, go in and teach at the synagogue. And so he's there for about three months in Acts chapter 19, right at the beginning. And so what happens is what happened all the time when Paul started teaching. The Jewish people got a little upset. They're like, this guy is teaching something that is, is different than what we have been taught. Therefore, we're going to banish him. We're going to keep him out. And so if you read Scripture, what happens is Paul goes to this school of Tyrannus, and he starts teaching, and he's teaching, and he's teaching. And the Bible says he does it day after day after day. And then in the very next verse, look down here at Acts chapter 19 in verse number 10, and you see the result of this new church in Ephesus, they're on fire. They're on fire for the Lord because verse number 10 tells us that all they which dwelt in Asia, watch it, they heard the word of Lord Jesus and the Jews and the Greeks, both Jews and Greeks. How amazing is that? Inside of two years, Ephesus, can we throw up the map again? I don't want to throw you guys off. Ephesus is here, down here on the, on the southwest side of Asia, which, by the way, this is modern-day Turkey right now. They're down here, and the Bible says that after two years, this whole region, everyone had heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. These people were on fire for Jesus. They were getting the job done. They were out telling people about Jesus. An amazing fact, if you look over at verse 17 of Acts uh, 19, the Bible starts to tell us that true revival is taking place. And verse 20 actually concludes by saying, so mightily grew the Word of God and that the Word of God prevailed. I mean, people are getting saved. Lives are being changed truly. Ephesus, watch this, had become the launching pad for the gospel all throughout Asia. And God used Paul to start this church. They were doing big things for Jesus as a port city. They were full of commerce. They were strategic in business and economics. But here's the thing, folks. In the midst of all this success, you say, well, what's the big deal? They went and they had success. Well, you have to understand that even before Paul gets there, Ephesus is also a religious center of sorts. I mean, they had all kind of wickedness going on due to the Temple of Diana. It's massive. It's unbelievable in size. It's this kind of art gallery. Uh, in fact, some of the statistics are it was like 239 feet wide, uh, 418 feet long, 117 columns measuring 6 feet in diameter, these marble columns boasting this Temple of Diana. And right smack dab in the middle of it is this lewd, multi-breasted statue of Diana. And guys, you could show that. And so this is the thing that would happen during these days. People would come on pilgrimages after pilgrimages and they would come and they would pay tribute to this, this statue, this goddess of Diana. She was, she was known as the goddess of fertility. And they would come and they would pay tribute to her in the midst of this city. And so you've got all kind of ungodliness taking place. It's running rampant all throughout the city. And the reality is these people were involved in perverse acts of, of, uh, of spiritual uh, prostitution and sexual ritualistic prostitution. And the reality I put down in my notes is that the, the devil was, was having a heyday. He's having a heyday. I got news for you. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize that the devil's having a heyday in 2021. And we're not the city of Ephesus. Oh, but my friends, I think if the shoe fits, we might as well put it on and wear it. 
The devil had a stranglehold on this city. That's what makes it so much more amazing. But God sends Paul back to Ephesus. And in the midst of this craziness, in the midst of what the devil is doing, in the midst of all this paganism, every think about it, every cult in the ancient world either was centered or was practiced in the city of Ephesus. It's a wicked place. And in the midst of all of this, God says, guess what? I'm greater than all of that stuff. And I'm going to show everybody that I'm greater. And I'm going to use a, a frail old man. I'm going to use him to go and start teaching people my word. I'm going to use him in such a way that lives are going to be changed. Oh, listen, this is what God does over and over. And the satanic ungodliness that was taking place was big business at that time. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 19, you'll see all the sorcery and all the, all the superstition that was running rampant in this city. But in the midst of it all, the power, watch it, in the midst of it all, the power of God began to spread like wildfire. Woo! Do you know that, I know that there's some fatalistic believers in our midst that don't believe, we don't believe that God could do it again. In fact, we've resigned ourselves to say, well, brother, the Bible says the days are going to wax worse and wax worse. It doesn't say that that has to be today. We can go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. It doesn't mean that on, on April the 11th, we just got to wave the white flag of surrender and say, oh, well, we told as many people as we could, Pastor, about Jesus. And so, well, but that's how we act sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we're just like, well, there's nothing we can... Oh, yes, there is something. Have you know the song that they were talking about, praying? We can get on our knees and pray. We can actually live like we believe Jesus is coming back. Oh, there's a lot of things we can do. We don't have to wave the white surrender flag. Listen, so much... Uh, this, this city was so radically transformed. If you read in Acts chapter 9, in some of our Bible study class that I teach, we went through the whole book of Acts, and you guys will remember who were in that class, you remember that some of the pagan priests and priestesses, they were so radically transformed, they actually bring all of their occultic books. You remember this? In the passage, they come and they bring all of their wares and all of their books, and they set up this big bonfire in the city of Ephesus, and they're burning all of their satanic material. That's how much God was transforming Ephesus. Because lives were being transformed by God. Do you know when God starts to work, the devil starts to work harder? Ha, ha, have you ever seen that in your own family? It's like you see, like you see your son get saved, or you see, see your wife get saved, or wives, you see your husband get saved, and you see grandparents getting saved, and all of a sudden, man, things start to happen. People getting sick, all kind of things start to happen. Listen, I don't connect it all together, but the reality is the devil hates you, and he hates your family. And guess what? He doesn't want you to worship Jesus either. He's not real pleased that you're at Battlefield Baptist Church today for me to talk to you about the church at Ephesus. You know what I'm saying? He's not real pleased with that, with that move. But God is well pleased because we're here to worship Him in spirit and truth. And lives are being transformed. And if you look in Acts chapter 19, because lives are being transformed, here's what takes place. Businesses that were connected to the ungodly practice of worshiping this goddess of fertility. And when I say goddess, I mean little g, not capital G. She was no god, is no god, will never be a god. They started suffering. Businesses started suffering. And so scripture tells us about a silversmith named Demetrius. And Demetrius was mad because, see, Demetrius, not only him, but a lot of the silversmiths were making these little silver amulets that people wore on necklaces or carried around in their pockets as, as good luck charms. And they were little amulets in, in the form of the goddess Diana. And so guess what? People's lives start changing. Business starts to go south. As a businessman, he's not liking Paul. He's not liking the message of Jesus. He's not liking the fact that lives are being transformed. And so Demetrius, you know what he does? He does what every red-blooded rioter does. He gets all the other silversmiths and all the other business people from Ephesus together and says, we're going to have a rally. We're going to have a riot. We're, going to, we're not going to stand for this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And they're, they're ready to kill Paul. They, they want to kill Paul. I'll just be honest with you. They want to. But God. They want to do this. But God. 
And so there's a lot of other things, and I don't have time to say it. I'd love to say more about it. <laughs> but the reality is, uh, this guy gets so angry. Look at Acts chapter 19. Look down at the end of verse, uh, verse 25. This is what uh, Demetrius says to all these other businesses. He says, hey, sirs, you know that by this craft, we have our wealth. He said, by these little ungodly idols that we make, we make our money on idols. We make our money on idol worship. We support our families on idol worship. Everything we do is connected to this ungodly practice of idol worship. Hello, 2021. He says, this is what we do. And he says, so guess what? He says, sirs, he says, um, moreover, you see and you hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. So now guess what? Not only are businesses in the city of Ephesus being affected, but businesses all over Asia are being affected. Why? Because people's lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel. It's so amazing to see. This is why it's important to understand history. And so what he says, he says, moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost all throughout Asia. Watch what he says. This Paul, <laughs> he names him. He says, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods, little g, which are made with hands. That's what he said in Acts chapter 17. He says, there be no gods that are made with hands. Verse 27, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught or left behind, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. That word despised means rejected. He says, guys, it's getting so bad. Guys, business is getting so bad that not only are they not buying our craft, but guess what? They're not coming to the temple. They're not seeing the infiltration of pilgrims coming to worship Diana. They're not seeing this perverse sexual sin taking place in our city. Guys, we got to do something. We got to stand up for sin, is what he's saying. Watch what he says. He says, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be respected re, or be despised or rejected and her magnificence, this is how he regards her, and her magnificence should be destroyed. That word destroyed means to be demolished or cast down. Whom all Asia, I, I bold this, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath. These guys said, oh, you're right. Demetrius, you're our man. Let's take Take back our city. This is our city. Do you know I believe that's what's happening in the United States of America today? Let's take back our country for sinfulness. That's why we cannot be silent. That's why we need to stand up and say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Oh, we got to stand up. And you guys might think I'm a little fired up today. I get fired up when I see that in history... We can look back and see a time when God was on the throne in the hearts of individuals and in the hearts of this little church who after two years had told all of Turkey. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have been there. I've seen the terrain in Turkey. And it ain't easy. And guess what? They did not have planes, trains, and automobiles to carry the gospel all around. They used their little old itty-bitty feet to tell people about Jesus. Oh, friends... There's so much more that takes place. But suffice it to say, what we need to know is that while God was bringing revival to this wicked city, these guys begin to riot to no avail. And at the end of the day, this first century church thrived. They thrived because of their love of Jesus Christ. Do you know, I believe that Battlefield Baptist Church, watch this, so important. I believe that this church could thrive if we were really totally committed to the love of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, the room's pretty full. We're looking good. You know, there's, while we're in here today, there's thousands that are driving by. Thousands that are driving back and forth that will not take time out to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. There's so many people who need Jesus. Uh, I would dare say that you don't have to look further than your own family to find somebody who needs Jesus or your, or your circle of friends, right? It could be a family member or a friend or a co-worker. And so notice in these verses, enough about the history. Let's, let's, let's wrap this thing. 
Notice in the first few letters, go back to Revelation chapter 2, we find in the first few verses of his letter in the church of Ephesus, what is Jesus telling this church? Number one, if you're a note taker, I believe he's telling this church what's right. He says, hey, let me tell you what's going on in the church. Let me, let me tell you what's right. And by the way, this is about 30 years after the Apostle Paul. And he says, here, let me tell you what's right. And he says in verse 2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne. The idea there of borning is, is this idea of, of bearing burdens. He says, thou hast borne burdens and hast patience. And he says it again, For my name's sake thou hast labored and hast not fainted. So in other words, the very words of Jesus tell us that this was a dynamic church. In verse 2 he says, I know thy works. So Jesus commends them, he congratulates them, he encourages them. This church was growing, they're, they're doing all kind of great things. And by the way, we know from Acts chapter 19 and verse number 10 that they're living out the Great Commission. You say, what do you mean? Well, Acts chapter 19 and verse 10 again says that everyone in Asia had heard the word of the Lord Jesus. They're living out the great commission of Jesus Christ. And so they're dynamic church. They're also a dedicated church. Look, he says, I know thy works and I also know thy labor. They were laboring for the Lord. In fact, if you look at verse 3, he commends them twice for their labor in this passage. He says, you're laboring, you're working for the Lord. Man, I want to commend you. You're doing big things for Jesus. And I'm so appreciative of that. He says, you're living holy and separated lives. And people's lives are being changed because you're pointing them to me. And so he says, hey, you're a dedicated church. But they were also, notice in verse number two, they're a determined church. They're a determined church because he talks about their patience. In verse number two, he talks about their patience in service. And then in verse number three, he talks about their patience in the midst of suffering. Guys, I got news for you. You're going to have to have patience to, to serve. Because there are going to be people who look at you cross-eyed when you tell them that Jesus loves them. You're going to have to have patience while you suffer. Some of you have suffered physically this year. Some of you have suffered financially. Some of you have suffered emotionally and mentally and spiritually this year. You're going to have to have patience. You're going to have to walk as Jesus walked. Oh, my friends, they were a determined church. But I also see the patience that they had was an enduring kind of patience. It was a patience that didn't give up. Have you ever had some patience and then finally you just give up? I lost my patience. Have you ever heard someone say that? I lost my patience with that kid. I've had enough. Well, when you start to feel like you've lost your patience with your kids, I'm looking at a mom. I'm sure he, I, you're an angel. I'm sure that you never cause any problem, right? You're like flying around the house, angels. You're the cherub. You're the best, right? He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> There's an honest young man up here. <laughs> But when you feel like you've lost your patience with him, just remember, guys, that we too were once kids. And there was probably a mom or dad who lost patience with us. I'm sure they lost patience with me a few times. But isn't it good that God never loses patience with us? He's long-suffering. The Bible says he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all, all, A-L-L, all means all, should come to repentance. They were patient. They were moving forward in the face of great difficulties. This church was also a disciplined church. Notice again in verse number 2, Jesus says, I know that you cannot bear them which are evil. In other words, he says, thank you for hating sin. By the way, it's okay to hate sin. You just better be careful not to hate the sinner. See, we, get, we, live in a, we live in a time when people get their spiritual halo on so tight that they go out and they think that there's something, they're a big bag of chips and all that, and they're, they're the greatest cookie on the shelf, and then they start pointing the finger at other people, remembering, guess what? Uh, remember, as Jesus said in verse 5, remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember the rock from which you were hewn and the pit from which you were dug. And so we have to be careful about that. As we live our lives, we can be disciplined and we can hate sin. But I always encourage people, don't hate the sinner. Oh man, we're to be loving as Jesus was loving. And one of the main reasons, here's the thing. One of the main reasons churches, I believe today, have no power. You know, they, this was a disciplined church. They hated sin, right? And Jesus commends them for that. And one of the reasons I believe churches today do not have power is because the pipeline, watch this, the pipeline this way, vertically, is so polluted 
but we are no good to go this way. By the way, if you got a problem this way, don't tell me you love, love your brother this way. You can't love your brother this way if there's something uh, 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 disrupting the pipeline, so to speak, into your love with God. It's been said this, if church has too little influence over the world, it's most likely because the world has too much influence over the church. If we got a problem, if we have little influence over the world, it's most likely because the world has too much influence over the church. In fact, God's Word teaches us, and I was sharing this a couple of Wednesday nights ago in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 8, the Bible tells us this. It says, For ye were once sometimes darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. But look at verse number 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all, there's the word again, A-L-L, in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. This is what the church at Ephesus was doing. They had the big temple of Diana, and they said, guess what? We're not going to have a part in that. We're going to, watch it, we're going to confront our culture rather than condoning the acts of our culture. The last thing I see here in verses 2 and 3 is that they were a discerning church. In verse number 2, Jesus says this, He says, Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Folks, the Holy Spirit gave this church the wisdom and the ability to tell the difference between what was real and what was not real. We need wisdom to know what is right and what is not right. Now, some things you ought to know that just aren't right. You don't have to go looking to find out if telling the truth is right or if telling a lie is wrong. You ought to actually, we ought to actually be able to discern that pretty easily. <laughs> we don't have to ask anybody it's like, hey, pastor, I'm going to pray about this. No, you don't have to pray about certain things. I mean, if it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. <laughs> verse number three. Verse number three, it's amazing to me, but it inverts the order of all the things that were said in verse number two. They're mentioned, but here's what it reminds me. It shows me and it reminds me that nothing absolutely nothing that this church in Ephesus had done or had suffered through was lost or forgotten with God. He remembers it all. He says, hey guys, I want to commend you. Can you imagine this? The apostle John, he's there, he hears the voice of Jesus. It's as a trumpet and Jesus starts rattling off all the things that he really loves about the church of Ephesus. But notice the first word of verse number four. It's very short, sweet, and to the point. In verse number four, the very first word is nevertheless. You see, you and I like it when things are going good, right? When Jesus is commending us, we're like, oh man, praise the Lord, things are going great. But then he says in verse number four, nevertheless. Uh, it's almost like, man, you're doing great, you're doing great. However, but hold your horses one second. I got something against you. And notice what he says. He's, first he says what's right. But now we're transitioning to Jesus. Here's point number two. He's going to tell him what's wrong. In verse number four, he says, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Hold on a second. Hold on. Look at the verse. Are you kidding me? What is Jesus saying? I mean, after all, Acts, number, Acts 19 tells us and it reveals to us that the church at Ephesus was serious about evangelism. They were successful in evangelism. And so how does Jesus say, I have someone against you? These are believers, as I said, remember, they carry the gospel into every town and village in Asia Minor by foot. And in two years, they've impacted the whole area. All of Asia Minor has heard the word of the Lord. It's almost like the Apostle Paul. You remember when he says in Romans chapter 10, in verse number 15, he says these words, he says, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring glad tidings of good things to people. This is, this is what we see. This is the kind of life that they were living. This church took Acts 1-8 literally, that they would be witness into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the uttermost part of the world. They took that seriously. They took seriously Mark chapter 16 and verse number 5 when Jesus said, go, go, uh, uh, you must go and preach the gospel to every creature. They took it seriously. 
And yet Jesus says, watch this, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. You see, more than their accomplishments of evangelism, more than their labor, more than their works, more than their patience, more than all that had been done for him, Jesus was more concerned with their love. Now, I knew you were going to get around to it. I'm going to go find me a church that preaches the real gospel. I'm tired of all this lovey-dovey-dovey stuff. Well, then you don't know your Bible, sir. You don't know your Bible. Because Jesus is concerned about this church, and He's concerned about this church today in 2021. And His desire is that His church be a loving church. That's why He said, I give you a new commandment, that you go out and you love one another as I have loved you. And He says, guess what? If you do that, then the whole world is going to know that you belong to me if, if, if you have love for one another. Oh man, it's time that we start loving the way that Jesus loved. You see, He's interested in their love. And what He's saying is, nevertheless, I have someone against thee. You have left your first love. He says, I want your heart. I don't want all the statistics. I don't want all the, all the success points. Yes, my gospel will go into the world. It will impact lives. And my word shall not go out void. And on and on. We know the promises of Scripture. But Jesus says there's something missing. Something that wasn't missing 30 some years ago. But now it's missing. And he says, I have a problem with you guys. You're going through all the motions for the wrong reasons. You're not doing it because you love me anymore. You're doing it out of a sense of duty. And folks, if you've left your first love, the reminder, the admonition from Scripture today is to return. It's to return. Well, I remember when I used to sing in a choir. Return. I remember when I used to teach a Sunday school. I return. I remember when I used to do this. Return. You say, well, I used to do it. I loved the Lord, man. I remember when I was doing it, I was on fire for Jesus. I loved Jesus and everything, and it became a burden. Then listen, Jesus said, listen, come unto me. If you're burdened and heavy laden, he says, I'm the one that can give you rest. Quit, quit listening to the world's wisdom and listen to me. Oh, my friends, this is an opportunity that we have. This church had been motivated to reach others, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. You see, the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ had compelled them. They had been compelled by love to go into all the world. And sadly, though the church at Ephesus had begun to let go of that passion, they had begun to step back. They had begun to relax in their passion for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, no, I got a problem with that. He wants to make sure. He says, I want to make sure you're doing the right things for the right reasons. Listen, I'm glad that you're living holy. I'm glad that you're living a separated life. I'm glad that you're growing. I'm glad that you're laboring and exercising patience. And I'm glad that you're living out the Great Commission and on and on and on he could go. But he says, I see something going on that I don't like. And do you notice what he points to? He doesn't point to all the things that we would think are part of our Christianity. He points, he goes deep, real deep. You remember when, when they went looking for the next king? Samuel goes over to Jesse's house and Samuel thinks he's found the king because he saw this the first son is full of stature and everything. He says, oh, surely this must be the king that's going to replace Saul. And he goes on and on and on. And finally he's like, you ain't got no more boys because I'm pretty sure that God sent me to your house to find the next king. And Jesse says, eh, uh, hold on a second. David! Here comes little David. And we're reminded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that God looks on the heart. We look on the outward appearance, don't we? We're always judging people by what they look like, by what they wear, what they don't wear, and all this. Thing. We, we judge people so crazily sometimes. But even back then, God was looking on the heart. This is what He looks for in Revelation chapter 2. He's looking at their heart. Folks, the only thing I put in my notes, the only thing that is going to keep a church on fire over the long haul will be its love for Jesus. It's like that song, Oh, the love of Jesus. Oh, the love of Jesus that washes me white as snow. Man, when I start to think about the love of Jesus that cleanses me from all unrighteousness, 
That compels me to serve Jesus. Not because Jesus says, hey, get up, you have to. You have to go serve me. You have to tell people about me. You have to. No, no. We should want to tell people about Jesus. We should want to live a life that pleases him. Why? Because he gave everything for us. Oh, listen, notice verse 4 again. i got to wrap this up. In the first part of verse 4 and first part of verse 5, look at it. It says, Nevertheless, I have someone against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Jesus didn't say they had lost their first love. He said, you have consciously left it. They had not retained their strong love for God or the things of God. Instead, they had become the epitome of what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 5. They had a form of godliness, but they were denying the power thereof. Do you know, if we're not careful, this church can have a form of godliness, but we can also walk around denying the power thereof. God help us never to do that. God help us never to do that. Folks, since God looks on the heart... And obviously the other things had become, uh, he looks on their heart and the other things in their life had become priority. What he's saying is, he's, guys, I have ceased to be preeminent in your life. I have ceased to be first. Your focus is out of whack. Somehow, some way, Jesus had been removed off the pedestal of their hearts. And if you and I are not careful, we get carried away with all kind of crud that has nothing to do with Jesus. Let me just caution you. Don't get carried away with crud. That seems very high and theological, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't get carried away with crud. It will destroy your life. Don't get focused on things that don't matter. Right? Don't, don't get focused on things that don't matter. I mean, the decorations, they don't matter. The color of this carpet doesn't matter. Color of the room, paint doesn't matter. Well, I don't like that TV screen. It's not big enough. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's just a tool. Lighting, video, it's a tool. Don't, don't, don't set your sights on things that really don't matter. You say, well, pastor, we're, we're renovating. We're excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. I'm excited about it too, but you know what? In the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. You know who matters? Jesus. Jesus matters. He's the one that matters. He's the one that should have the preeminence. Notice what Jesus' prescription is, and we got to close. Look at verse 5. Here's his prescription. Y'all want a prescription? I like prescriptions, especially if they come from Jesus. Notice in verse 5, here it is. Do y'all? By the way, anybody ever have a hard time taking pills? I do. Like I throw, I throw like a whole gallon of water down there and then I'm like, like I'm dropping a little, little fish. And then I try and swallow it. You may need a little water with this verse. Notice, here's his prescription. He said, remember, therefore from whence thou art fallen. And what is the next word in my Bible? He says, repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. In other words, notice at this verse, look at the verse. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you need to exercise your memory and recall the happiness, recall the love, recall the joy, recall the zeal that you had when you, by faith, trusted in the risen Savior of the world. When you, by faith, received forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. You need to remember back to where you were, Pastor Greg, on September the 16th, 1980, and how excited and how grateful and how wonderful it was that night when you went forward and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You need to remember back. You need to look back to the cross where Jesus was on the cross and He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But then you have to look back and remember when He said, it is finished. That's exactly what He meant. Oh man, we must look back and remember. But He also says, repent. And so we must think differently. We must reconsider, watch it, how carelessly we have regarded the love of Jesus. Have you been careless with the love of Jesus? He says, remember and repent. And then notice the third thing he says. He says, return. He says, do the first works. In other words, he says, return and resume. He says, put me back on the throne of your heart. You all used to love me. You all used to go out and to serve me, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of desire. 
You had so much love in your heart, so much desire to serve me that you just did it. Nobody had to tell you to do it. You just did it. He says, remember, repent, and do the first works. Oh, do you remember the first time Jesus came into your heart and life? Can you? If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus. I know the answer right away is obvious, but I want to encourage you that God loves you, that He he loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. Young person, you may be in, in, in some type of situation in your life and you're trying to search for answers. Can I tell you that the answer is found in Jesus Christ? You look no need to look no further than Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ, sir, whether you're young or, or middle-aged or a senior saint, you have the opportunity to ask Him to be your Savior. This morning, I believe that the Lord is calling every one of us to compare where we are currently with our love for Him to where we were in our love for Him. And depending on our answer, Jesus says, remember. He says, repent. And depending on our answer, He says, do your first works. By the way, I, I get into great theological discussions from time to time with people on the topic of repentance. Repentance in this case does not just simply mean, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, you caught me. <laughs> you caught me. No, repentance in this situation, in this case, means I'm through. It means, Lord, I'm through. It means I'm through living a life of uncleanness. It means I'm through listening to the whims of the world. It means I'm through putting you on the back burner of my life. I'm through, Lord. I'm through. I'm through. That's what it means to repent. In verse number 6, Jesus commends the church of Ephesus one more thing before closing. It's, a, it's almost like Jesus said, oh, by the way, let me say one more thing to you before I close. And in verse number 6, he says this. He says, but this thou hast, and thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now let me just say, we don't have time, and I'm sure you're thankful for that. We don't have time to fully develop this thought, but you're going to hear the Nicolaitans again. You're going to hear about them again. And the reality is that this was an early sect of Christianity that had crept into churches and they were full of heresy. They were full of false teaching, if you please, that was contrary to accepted biblical norms. And this church, this, this church began to see the Nicolaitans and, and they were impacting this church. And so Jesus says one last time, He says, Hey, by the way, I forgot to commend you for your stance against these unbiblical teachings. And so he throws that out as one final. So he gives them commendation, commendation, commendation. I have somewhat against you. And then he comes back with one final commendation. He says, oh, by the way, thank you for standing against ungodliness. I hate their deeds too. You say, well, what's the big, what's the big deal about the Nicolaitans? Nicolaitans? Well, the reality is they believed that it was lawful to eat things that were sacrificed to idols. They also uh, believed in separation of body and spirit, you know. So where Paul taught in Ephesians chapter 2 that you and I have been made to sit in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ, they believed that since our spirit was sitting in the heavenlies, that it was okay to hang on out over at the temple of Diana. It was okay to be involved in this perverse sexual idolatry. They believed that that was no problem, you see, because there was a separation between the body and the spirit. But here's the one that starts and continues to impact the world today. They believed in creating a division within the church. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? They believed in a separation between the clergy and the laity. You're not smart enough to understand that God loves you. So let us have some people over you that will instruct you and teach you but my friends, when Jesus died, He died for all. He died for all. And so this teaching of the Nicolaitans was a problem. And, and what's interesting is to know, and I, I think I gave it to them, I don't know if they have it, but their name, the Nicolaitans, here it is. It actually literally means to be victorious over the people. Nicolaus is the word. And it actually comes from two smaller words, Nikos and Laos, and Nikos meaning a conquest, to conquer or to triumph over, and the last part of their name comes from this word Laos, meaning laity or the people. And so how crazy enough that their name actually means that they want to be victorious over the people. By the way, they created this false separation 
a cult of intellectuals, if you please, was created by the Nicolaitans, and it continues to today. And I'll not get into that, but it continues to this day where bishops and archbishops have rule over the people. And they're telling the people that they can't pray, they got to do this, they got to do that, they got to do the other. And Jesus says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to the throne of my grace that you might find help in your time of need. Oh, listen, he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans because he died for all. And folks, let me just say this. Jesus doesn't conceal himself in his word. He reveals himself. He doesn't hide from you or me in his word. He reveals himself. And so what needs to be done? So what needs to be done? What's the big ribbon at the end of the day? Look at verse number seven and I close. Verse number seven says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of paradise of God. So what needs to be done? I got two thoughts for you if you're a note taker. Listen and learn. Listen and learn. You say, is that all you got? Yep. Listen and learn. Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to you. Listen to what He's saying to you individually. We must listen to what He's saying to us as a church and we must learn what He is saying. And so I ask some questions and leave you to deal with the Lord. Lead you to answer these questions and deal with the Lord. Question number one, have you left or relaxed in your first love? Have you, ha, ha, if you're honest, are you closer to God this morning than when you first believed or are you farther away from Him? And you know the answer right away. As soon, I probably didn't even need to have the, ask that question. You've already thought about it during this message. Have you left your first love? Have you, have you drawn back? Have you pulled back from serving the Lord? out of a sense of love, not out of a sense of duty, but a desire because of His love for you. Number two, are you doing the right things for the right reasons? Are you living a holy and separated life? Are you, are you growing in your faith? Are you laboring? Are you exercising patience? By the way, I stopped praying for patience because every time I prayed for patience, God would send me a test, right? Are you exercising patience? Are you living out the Great Commission? Are you serious about evangelism? like the church at Ephesus was, what is your situation? Are you serious about it? Uh, does Jesus have, here's a good one, does He have the preeminence in your life? Is He first or is He somewhere in the middle or is He last? Is He number one, uno number one? Or, and I'm going to be real gentle because I'm married too. Or is your wife number one? Is He number one or is your husband number one? Is He number one or is... Your little angel, number one. Your children. Is he number one or some kind of hobby or habit or hang-up, number one? He says, put me back on the throne. And either here's the thing, either Jesus is a number one or something else is number one. Like the church in Ephesus, you remember I told you that the devil had a stranglehold on the city? And when things started to change, people in the city got in an uproar. Can you imagine what would happen in Northern Virginia if people started looking at Battlefield Baptist Church and say, what is going on over there? Those people are on fire, not in a crazy way, but they're on fire out of their love for Jesus. Lives are being changed and impacted for the glory and honor of God because of their great love for God. Can you imagine what would take place? Do you love the Lord the first, the most? Or does Satan have a stranglehold? If so, remember, repent, and do the first works. I want to encourage you, though, as 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, I believe, in verse 4 and 5 tells us, if you're in Christ, you're already an overcomer. Amen? You're already an overcomer. If you're here today and you've not trusted Jesus, I want you to know that you're a simple, simple decision away you know that the Lord died on the cross for your sins. You realize He is the Savior of the world, but you've never called on Him. You've never asked Him to forgive you of your own sins. Not your daddy's sins, not your grandma's sins, not your neighbor's sins, but you have never called on the Lord to forgive you of your sins. The opportunity right now is before you. It's right before you. And you say, what do I have to do? Well, the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You simply need to ask the Lord.
to forgive you and come into your life. And I pray that's exactly what you'll do right now. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy and our desires to find help in our time of need. Lord, you are so good to us. Lord, you are so great. You are so mighty. You are so strong. God, I'm thankful for how you worked in this church and in Ephesus, God, how you ruled and reigned in, in their life. And God, how even in this letter that you're calling them back, you're saying, listen, I'm more concerned with your love than anything else. And Lord, I know that you've spoken to hearts today. So Lord, I pray that people will do business, that they'll do business with you right now, today. They won't put it off. Lord, that they will, they will desire, if need be, to remember and to repent and to do the first works if they've never trusted in Christ, that they will do that right now, that they'll simply call out and say, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner and I don't understand it all, but I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to become the Savior of my life. Lord, I love you. I'm thankful that you loved me enough to do that. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.